Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. In Mark chapter 7, we see a shift from Jesus conducting miracles to now uh, he has been teaching object lessons, but now he is just doing some some straight teaching of instruction. And, And this instruction is identifying himself as God's servant. So you may ask yourself, Why is he doing that? Well, this is important because at this point, remember, we've just gone through the the feeding of the 5,000. We've just gone through him walking on the water to the disciples. And so people are starting to see the the awesome things that he can do and what he can provide through miracles and the, the mighty feats that he can do. So it would be like most of us, we would want to elevate someone like that and put them on a pedestal. But he's trying to teach us and his disciples, that it's not about what he does, but it's about what he came to do. It is about the fact that although he was God, he was a servant. And yes, he was doing miraculous signs, but it was not to draw attention to himself, but to serve God's will. You see, Jesus was not a superstar. He was a servant. So let's grab our note apps, our pens, and our paper and get ready to sit at the master's feet. You see, the culture, and if you would, give me just a second. I have to kind of set the table, uh, so hang with me just for a minute. But some background, the culture was very political, much like it is today. You see, the issue people were just disagreeing on related to today's passage was not what party they were ascribed to, whether they were Democrat or Republican. It wasn't their thoughts on immigration or education, or the economy, or health care. The, the crux, or the, the middle of their dispute was, who was God's favorite, who was God's chosen, and who was God using? And this, during the intertestamental period, now I know that's a big word, but basically from the time the Old Testament, the writing stopped, and the New Testament began, that's called like the intertestamental period, Well, this represents a gap of years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And during this period in history, some things started to happen. And these things started to happen because God's people were in captivity. And within them, new groups started to spawn. Now, there were three main groups. Now, hang with me. I promise you, I'll get there in just a minute. But there were three main groups. There were scribes, there were Pharisees, and there were Sadducees. Woo, that'll bless your heart, right? Scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. You got it? Three of them. They're what? Scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. Very good. We're on the same page. Now, the scribes. The scribes, they started with good intentions. They were actually, they began because of the work of the prophet Ezra, who was a scribe and the founder of this group, and individuals of this group, they had a mastery of the Jewish laws. In other words, they were the experts. They were like the Jewish law ninjas. I mean, they knew everything about the law. And with that, there became a little bit of uh, haughtiness, a little bit of of, uh, flexing, a little bit of poking their chest out because they were experts. But then after you have the scribes, you have the Pharisees, all of these things formulating between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Pharisees this group, they began to defend Jewish traditions 
from being watered down and influenced by non-Jewish cultures. I mean, think about it. They had been conquered. They had taken all of their stuff that was their, their, their ceremonies and their practices. And now instead of them just being in an all-Jewish community, they were everywhere. And what happened was is that people were trying to water down and discount what they were doing. So the Pharisees set themselves up as the people that would make sure that if God's word in the Old Testament said, this is the way you do this cleansing, this is the way you do your ritual, this is what is clean, this is what is unclean, they made sure that everybody knew that, and if they were a Jew, that they would hold to it. They were like the hall monitor of Jewish activity. Then you had the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a group of Jewish leaders much like the Pharisees, except these were the elite. These were, most of these were the rich and the prosperous. And, and what had happened is, is that you had a lot of Greek and Hellenistic influence that matched with the Jewish. And so all of a sudden you see these Jews now had a, a higher thought that the supernatural was not, they wanted to stick with the age of reason. We will believe what we can see. So the biggest difference between a Pharisee and the Sadducee is the fact that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because that was a supernatural incident. They didn't believe that the Messiah, when he would come, as Jewish, as Jewish um, literature taught, they did not believe that the resurrection would happen. So the way that I've always thought about it, you've got the scribes, you've got the Pharisees, then you've got the Sadducees. And you could always remember the Sadducees because I would always say to myself, isn't it sad, you see, they don't believe in the resurrection. So there, you know, you've got your nugget of wisdom for this morning. And now, why in the world would I spend so much time telling you about the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees? Is to set the table for what we are going to see today. What we see is that we need to understand the then so that we can apply it to the now. So when Jesus is on the earth and he is teaching, there is political unrest. There are political powers that don't want Jesus to do anything. Does that sound familiar, folks? Politics has taken on to become the new religion. Politics and science and reason and everything that people can can understand apart from God and apart from Jesus. So when this is written and what we're reading is not so far from the way it was when it was intentionally or initially spoken and taught. Jesus was ministering to a very misguided world and religious people that were divided politically. Many were focused on how their spiritual actions made them look like they were believers rather than actually being believers. Many were posturing themselves to look more spiritual than they were and criticizing those who fell short of their standards. So as you see the sermon today, the power of purity versus posturing. If you don't know what posturing is, I guess the modern day uh, definition of that would be flexing or bowing out or bragging or showing off or trying to be bigger than you are kind of thing. That's what they were doing. That people were trying to, they were worried more about image than they were about what they truly believed. They wanted people to know 
the way they worshipped more than who they worshipped. You don't think that's alive today? Think of churches that are split because of the way they worship. We have different denominations that are, that are split apart basically because of the way people worship. We have churches that have been split over the type of music that is used for worship. We have churches that don't believe that there's only but one version of the Bible to preach, and that's King James. And churches have split over that. I mean, we have, we have splintered ourselves and focused on all of the things that we shouldn't focus on rather than focusing on Jesus himself. So with that backdrop set, let's jump into our passage for our time together this morning. First of all, we see that posturing promotes judgment with prejudice. Posturing promotes judgment with prejudice. Let me ask you something. Have you ever seen maybe it could be in real life, it could be on a TV, it could be in a movie that you like, but when when they go to trial, they try their best to make sure the jury is impartial. They haven't seen any news, they haven't made up their mind, because The last thing you want is someone to come into a trial with their mind already made up. But what we see here, that is exactly what's happening. It says in verse 1 of chapter 7, One day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. Now, what I want you to see here is that the main church in Jerusalem, they were like the hub of Jewish worship, the Jewish religion, And so they have sent a contingent. They have sent out a search party. They have sent out a group to judge what Jesus is doing. And it says in verse 2, they noticed that some of the disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. I know some of you are going, ooh, that's nasty. Well, we are going to see the significance of that. It says here in verse 3, the Jews, especially the Pharisees, did not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient tradition. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. But this is one of but many traditions they have clung to, such as ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow age-old traditions? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking if he has fed 5,000 men and their families with just a little bit of food, he has walked on water, and he has healed people, and the thing that you're worried about is whether his dudes are washing their hands before they eat? But there again, the Pharisees, they were all about You need to do it the right way. The bad thing is, is that when they came to evaluate Jesus, their mind was already made up. It doesn't matter what Jesus did, they were going to find something wrong. The same prejudice in spirit is alive and well today, my friends. If you don't think so, if you don't think like I do, and do the things that I do, then you are wrong. That's what a lot of people say. I don't even have to try to understand you. That is the attitude today. You are either woke or you are uneducated. You are either progressive or you are either 
dim in the head. Everybody's trying to put labels on what you are and what you aren't. And it's not based on God's word. It's based on the court of public opinion. That is what we're trying to measure ourselves up against. You understand that when people come to look at Christianity, they've already got it in their mind that it is a crutch, that it is fake, and that it is something that is man-made that people do not need. There are people in the world that feel like that, and that is fine. I know many people that have started off like that. Josh McDowell, one of the most uh, profound apologetists, someone who defends the faith of Jesus, started out his ministry as a scientist He was an atheist trying to disprove the existence of God. And look at what happened to him. But what we see in these situations is tradition is seen as law. Let's talk about the importance of the hand-washing ceremony. It wasn't just like, oh, did you have some hand sanitizer? I've got some in my purse. We can just clean up right here and then we'll start eating our meal. That's not what it was. Their hand-washing ceremony was just it. It was a ceremony, just like we do the Lord's Supper. They would go and they would have their hand-washing ceremony where they would take a little cup, a little portion of water, and they would pour it from their fingertips and let the water run down their fingertips to their wrists. And then they would take it and they would turn their hand over and dump it from the wrist and let it wash down the fingers. And then they would ball up one fist and they would wash like this. And then they would repeat the process and do it again. And while they were doing that, they would recite a prayer. They would recite this prayer that says, Blessed be thou, O Lord King of the universe, who sanctified us by the laws and command to wash the hands. And so what the Jewish Pharisees noticed is that these disciples, these followers of Jesus, were not observing that Tradition. It wasn't just about clean your hands before you eat. They were not doing that tradition that all good Jews know that they should do. Now, they were very serious about this. Some of you think, well, you know, I don't get the whole significance of why they got to make that so important. But uh, there's, there's stories of uh, there was one Jewish man that was in, in prison in Rome, and they gave him a ration of water each day. And he almost thirsted to death because he would use the water to do his hand-washing ritual instead of drinking it. And to them, they were very devoted. And still today, I am sure that people in the Jewish faith are devoted to this practice. So the Pharisees had an honest question. Why don't your disciples go through the Jewish traditional ceremony of washing hands like we do? Well, what we see here in verses 6 through 13 is that Jesus called out the hypocrisy of posturing. If you, I've, heard, I've said this before, I'll say it real quick. The term hypocrite means to play a part. Back when they would have Greek dramas and they would have one actor playing multiple roles, an actor would come out and they would wear a mask and they would play that role and then they would go back, put on another mask and play that role. If you've ever been in drama and you see the comedy and tragedy masks side by side, That's where all of that came from. So he's saying, look, you folks are are playing a part that is not real. And he says, starting in verse 6, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. Now this is great because Jesus is using their own writings against them. He says, for he wrote, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts 
are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's laws and substitute your own tradition. The Pharisees were placing more emphasis on the traditions rather than the scriptures that they claimed to study. Focusing on trivial matters like the ritual of hand-washing excluded everyone who didn't keep or know them. So if you didn't know to wash your hands like you were supposed to, then in their eyes, you had no hope of knowing God. So people were discouraged from coming to God. There are people that will not come to a church today, no matter how much you ask them, and no, how, no matter if you say, look, I'll even feed you if you come. We'll go to, we'll go to lunch after church. And, uh, no, I don't know about that. Because they're afraid if they come in, they won't know how to play church. Because somewhere along the way, they went to a church, someone told them you had to dress a certain way, you had to talk a certain way, you had to look a certain way. You had to say certain things and you couldn't say other things. Now, Baptists may not worry about hand-washing rituals, but Baptists have had traditions through the years that they've held to. There's only, as I said earlier, only one version of the Bible to preach from. Only one type of music to worship with. Only one way to dress. Don't dance. Don't go to the movies. Don't play cards. Y'all remember that? Oh, yeah. Here's the thing that, that I, it, it's my own pet peeve and I'm talking to myself, is that too many times Baptists are more known for what they are against than for who they are for. We, we, we look at the Pharisees and we're like, how could they do that? But the spirit of the Pharisees is among many people today. Oh my goodness, if somebody walks into the church and they're wearing a hat, let's get them. If someone's coming in this church and they don't look like everybody else, Let's, let's don't talk to them. Maybe they'll go away. That, that's, thank God that's not happening in our churches, but it has happened. And I have seen it. And it is terrible. Here's a scary observation. And Jesus states this. It is possible to have the image of being religious or spiritual, but actually being far from God. The hardest person to ever be reached for the gospel is the one who sits in the pew every week keeping religious traditions but never having Jesus Christ in their hearts. This should scare you. And it scares me too. What would God say? Would he say something similar to us? They attend church, but their hearts are far from me. They read the Bible, but their hearts are far from me. They pray beautifully, but their hearts are far from me. They tithe and give money, but their hearts are far from me. They serve in the church, but their hearts are far from me. They love to sing, but their hearts are far from me. They talk to others about Jesus, but their hearts are far from me. This passage is asking you, and it's asking me, no matter what we do, whether we attend, whether we stayed at home, whether we will be at home next week, or wherever we're at, Where is your heart with me? That's what Jesus wants to know. Where are we? I love the fact that you're attending church. I love the fact that you are serving in the church. I love the fact that you are excited about what God is doing at Homeland Park Baptist Church. But where is your heart? Where are we? That's what this passage is saying. Again, Jesus calls out the hypocrisy of placing tradition over Scripture. In verse 9, he says, You skillfully sidestep laws, God's law, 
in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of a father or mother shall be put to death. So he sets them up. He says, look, this is your rule. This is your law. You have made it up. Kind of like today when somebody tweets something and then all of a sudden something changes within a year, two years, five years, seven years, and someone pulls up that tweet and said, oh, look, you tweeted this, but now look how awful it is. People have lost their jobs. They have lost their careers over shooting their mouth off on social media. Younger folks, let me go ahead and tell you, whatever you put on social media does not go away. Recruiters, look at that. Businesses, look at that. And some of you go, tweet? I don't know what a tweet is. Well, back in the old days, you used to write a note on an envelope and stick it in somebody's locker. Imagine someone taking that note and showing everybody. But anyway, I don't know why I got on that. Verse 11, but you say it is all right for people to stay, say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one among many of other examples. So he's telling them, look, your own tradition says take care of your parents. But yet you're letting your vow to give to the church and give give to whoever just for your tradition, just so you can be seen and, and look good in front of everybody else. Yet your parents are needy and you're not helping them. There was times in the Jewish temple where when they would give money, and we won't do this here, don't worry, but there was this thing called a, a shofar. And it was basically a huge conch shell. You know, you put, put your ear up to it and you hear the ocean. One of these huge shells. And so what they would do is that when these Pharisees and these Jewish leaders would go into the worship center, they would take their coins and they would ring that thing. And it would make this huge noise so everybody would know by the sound how much money you were given. It wasn't about the money they were given. They wanted wanted people to say, look at me. Folks, we must never use God's word to neglect our responsibilities as a Christian because that's not why God's word was written. If our traditions go against the truths and the commands of Jesus in his scriptures, then they need to be disregarded and i would ask you as i ask myself as i lead a church what do we do that is scriptural and what do we do that is traditional and is there a point to where our tradition is not based on scripture and if it is we need to rip that out the third thing we see traditions do not carry the same weight as scripture my friends traditions do not carry the same weight as scriptures. I could go in a lot of directions on this. The things that I have seen, the things that you have seen, the things that you have heard, the things that have been done to you in the name of tradition that was not scripture. My friends, as far as this church goes, as I am pastor of this church and while we lead it, we are never going to let tradition outweigh the weight of scripture. And if we ever try to do that, someone better call me on it. Come to me and tell me. And I will say, I am sorry, and we will go the other way. 
Seek purity over religious posturing, verses 14 through 23. Y'all have been awesome this morning. Thank you for, for hanging with me here. Verse 14 says, Then Jesus called to the crowd to come all in here. So he said, Hey, everybody. These guys are making a point. Let me, let me tell you something. He calls everybody together. Excuse me. <coughs> he says, All of you listen. And try to understand, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. Of course, he didn't mean that ingesting poison and filling your life filled with things like pornography and evil thoughts is permissible. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is, Jesus is addressing the Jewish eating laws that made people clean or unclean. If you eat this, you were considered clean. If you did not, or so and forth. Verse 17. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd, and his disciples asked him what he meant by the parable he had just used. And he looked at him like, and it says right here, don't you understand either? He's like, come on, dudes. I just walked out to, a, to you on a, a boat in the middle of a lake in a storm, and you don't get it yet. That's what I love about the disciples. It is endearing to me. It is encouraging to me to know that they didn't fully understand who Jesus was until he was resurrected. So when I have problems getting things and understanding Jesus, we're in pretty good company. He says, don't you understand it either, he asked. Can't you see that the food you put into your body cannot defile you? Again, he's talking about the Jewish dietary laws. Food doesn't go into your heart but it only passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. That's quite a word picture, isn't it? By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eyes. And what you see here is just a flash, just a glimpse of what is to come about the fact that Gentiles are going to be included in God's redemptive plan. And every one of you in here that's not Jewish is a Gentile, and you ought to be thanking the Lord for this scripture. Jesus is calling out the posturing of the Pharisees and it enraged them. The dramatic lesson of truth versus tradition made them want to silence Jesus. They were already against him, but this whole thing that just happened just threw fuel on the fire. A life that lacks purity will produce poison. A life that lacks purity will produce poison. Verse 20. And then he added, it is what comes from the inside that defiles you from from within, out of a person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these vile things come from within. They are what defiles you. My friends, if you are getting a steady intake of these things, they're going to come out in your life. If all you do is live by your favorite news channel and your favorite social media feed, it's going to start coming out in your life. If you put more stock in what is everybody is saying, as opposed to what God's Word is saying, these things will start to come out into your life 
and in your family. One needs to look no further than the morning news shows, news feeds and social media for immoral sexual acts, murders, thievery, lies, abusers, coveting, pride, and posturing. The amount of posturing that you see with politicians and celebrities and all of these people that are virtue signaling, trying to make themselves look so good. The posturing is people are choking on it. Please check your thinking before it takes you down the wrong road of thought. Nothing good can come from thinking about something bad. Instead, follow Paul's advice in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. We talked about it on Wednesday night. Of thinking about what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. So as we wrap this thing up, what we see is posturing promotes what you do for God. Purity promotes what God has done for you. Let's take a moment just to unpack that. Posturing promotes what you do for God. If you want people to look at you and, may, and think that you are the most spiritual person in the world, you may put yourself in that situation. I'll go ahead and tell you my truth, and I believe this beyond a shadow of a doubt. Anytime I've had someone tell me how good of a Christian they are, that's how bad of a Christian they are. Because if you have to tell me how good you are as a Christian, then that means that somebody's not seeing it. It's not about what people think about you, my my friends, about how spiritual you are. I think some of the most spiritual people that I look up to are the ones that struggle, are the ones that are transparent, the ones that are real, the ones that don't make it look so easy. You see, posturing promotes what you do for God, but purity promotes what Jesus has done for you. Why do you want to live a pure life? Because Jesus died to make you pure. And you live for him. You don't want these things that he has listed out that comes from the heart that is evil. If you, don't know, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have just read the byproduct of what is in every person's heart that does not know God. But the difference is, for those of us that know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, as he redeems us, from that. Folks, man is sinful. The world wants to tell you that every human being at the center of who they are is good, but that is false. How many superhero movies do you have to see where the the premise is bottom line man is always good? That looks good on the movies, but it is not what the Bible says. Jesus proclaims that at the center of every person's There is a sinner unable to control or change the nature on their own. Folks, if you were good on your own, Jesus would not have had to come to die for you. We would not have to celebrate Christmas. We would not have to celebrate Easter because we would be good on our own. If we could change our own nature, there would be no need for Jesus. Look, in today's age, people can change their looks in a heartbeat. They say 80 is the new 50, I guess. I mean, we, we can see, I mean, y'all have seen it. Y'all watch enough TV to know that evidently there's a big business and in, in there's, there's auto body work, like a body shop for a car. But there's a lot more for a body. I mean, you'll see people and it looks like someone just froze their face. They smile and... When they smile, their their eyes don't move. I don't get it. 
And look, I, I look. There, I know plenty of good godly people that have had a, a nip here, a tuck there, and, and, and corrective surgery and stuff like that. I'm not throwing everything under the bus, but I am saying this. Is there are a lot of people making a lot of money to make us look better. But only Jesus can change the inside. There is no surgeon that can operate <clears throat> on the soul. People change their looks, their outlooks, and their convictions all the time. But only Jesus can change the core of who you are this year. So my prayer is for you. If you need Jesus Christ to come into your life, if you need him to be Lord of your life, if you need to change some things, may this year be different. Just-